It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KCAA Loma Linda, 10.50 a.m., 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Your NBC Sports Radio update starts now. Overtime in Boston. I'm Jeff Biggs, and what a game, what a finish in Boston at the Garden. 4.4 seconds left to go in overtime, and the Celtics are going to take game one from the Bucks, leading right now 112 to 107. Also underway in Cleveland, LeBron and the Cavs trailing the Pacers early on 20 to 6. That's in the first quarter. And uh, LeBron has never lost a first game in the first round. Later on, a good first round matchup in the West with Billy Donovan and the Thunder set to play the Jazz. A lot of times in, in, in playoff series, uh, points can be hard to come by. Um, you know, so free throws, finishing, um, you know, all those things I think become, you know, really important. Um, you know, just in terms of trying to generate points. And then tonight in Houston, Mike D'Antoni and the top-seeded Rockets will take on the T-Wolves. These guys are competitors. They know what we've been trying to get to all year, and we were trying to get the first seed, uh, if possible, and it was, and uh, they accomplished that. But now it's time for bigger and better things. They've talked about it all year, so I'd be very shocked if they're not ready to roll. On the ice on NBC, Game 3 in Philly between the Flyers and the Pens, who are tied 1-1. And they've just wrapped up period number one with the Flyers down one to nothing. Sidney Crosby, his fourth goal of the series, that put the Pens on top one to nothing. It's Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball, although the story has been the weather. Six postponements, including the Royals and the Angels from Kansas City. Shohei Otani was scheduled to pitch. He will now pitch on Tuesday against the Red Sox, who have just beaten the Orioles three to one. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I'm Jeff Biggs. This is NBC Sports Radio. From the KCAA Weather Center, I'm Kelly Wild. For this afternoon, a mostly sunny sky, a high near 82. Patchy fog through the overnight, otherwise mostly cloudy, low around 52. Partly sunny for tomorrow, a high near 64. Winds out of the west could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Those winds will continue to be a factor for tomorrow night with a slight chance of showers before 11. Otherwise partly cloudy, low around 44. And Tuesday, sunshine, a high near 72. I'm Kelly Wild, broadcasting live from the Tri-City Center at the 10 and 210 freeways. We are the trifecta of talk in Southern California. KCAA 102.3 FM Riverside, 106.5 FM Redlands, and the Legacy 1050 AM Loma Linda San Bernardino. This segment of programming sponsored by CyberTime Network Communications. How's your internet? Feeling boxed in with the high costs of the internet? Ready for a better internet service? Then you're ready for CyberTime. Yes, there's an alternative to those big corporate internet service providers. It's CyberTime Network Communications. CyberTime is so good, they provide all the connectivity for this radio station. Crisp, cool, fast and sleek, CyberTime uses the latest leading edge microwave technology. No wires, no cables, no sharing, and they're able to offer clients a safe, reliable, public or private network that fits almost any budget size. And several cities rely on CyberTime's microwave private network for their most critical mission applications. Get connected, stay connected, get smart, get CyberTime. You can Google, text, or call CyberTime Network Communications at 909-795-9559. That's 909-795-9559.
This segment of broadcasting brought to you by Tender Hearts TLC Incorporated. Tender Hearts, the helping hands for your loved ones, where they understand it can be difficult to find time in your already busy schedule to attend to all the needs of your aging loved one. Tender Hearts will be there for your loved one when you can't be. Tender Hearts TLC helps your aging loved ones stay in their home as they specialize in tender, loving, 24-hour service, including transportation to doctor's appointments, medication reminders, meal preparation, light housekeeping, and assistance with activities of daily living such as hygiene and grooming, orientation, and companionship. We thank Tender Hearts for their support of this station. Tender Hearts TLC where they don't just care for your loved one, they give them tender, loving care. For more info, you can reach them at 909-528-9759. That's 909-528-9759 for Tender Hearts, TLC. KCAA. Attention all business owners, join Seize Candies, Big Lots, Dollar Tree, and the Spunky Steer at the Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands. Availability is now open for restaurants, retail, and more. Located between Alabama and the Tennessee exits where the 10 and the 210 meet, your company can be a part of over 60 retail shops, restaurants, and local businesses. The Tri-City Shopping Center is zoned for multi-use, so call today and schedule an appointment. Ask for Chris Beauchamp or John Jennings, 951-684-4400. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands. The mall with a heart. This is Dick from Carpet Masters. Carpet Masters has been serving the Inland Empire for over 55 years. Carpet Masters uses extraction cleaning for your carpet because there's no better cleaning to remove the soil from your carpet. All of our furniture cleaning is done by hand in your home or in our plant. Carpet Masters also offers dry cleaning for fine furniture. Call Carpet Masters at 793-7215. That's 793-7215 for Carpet Masters. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Do you know where you are? Well, you've done it now. You're listening to KCAA Loma Linda, your CNBC news station. So expect the unexpected. information economy has arrived. The world is teeming with innovation as new business models reinvent every industry. every industry. Inside Analysis is your source of information and insight about how to make the most of this exciting new era. Learn more at InsideAnalysis.com. InsideAnalysis.com. And now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's time once again for Inside Analysis, the show that's all about the information economy. Folks, we have a wonderful show lined up for you today. Four great guests calling in from all over this big blue marble of ours. We'll be hearing about machine learning. The exact title is Training Day. Machine learning enables the new possible. We'll hear from a whole group of experts on the show today. I'm very pleased to have the author of an excellent book on machine learning. We also have a scientist dialing in from Switzerland. We have a couple of other experts from the machine learning industry dialed in to tell you all about what's going on. Of course, machine learning is part and parcel to artificial intelligence. We talk a lot about AI on this show, and we're going to talk about what's really happening out in the world of AI. And the topic is training day, in part because we want to focus on the importance of training and training algorithms. There's all this concern these days about um, machines taking our jobs, basically about robots and algorithms and, and machine learning and AI being responsible for all sorts of crazy things. But by and large, you need to train algorithms and you need people to train them typically. There is something called deep learning. We'll talk about that on the show today, which is a bit more open-ended and doesn't require quite as much uh, impact or input from human beings. Some interesting stuff happening out there. Obviously, the big players like Google are all getting involved in that these days. So we're going to be hearing about that. Hop online to insideanalysis.com for more information about our guests today. But like I say, we've got a whole bunch of experts lined up. And we're going to talk about what you need to do to take advantage of machine learning. How can it affect your business? How can it be used to improve your profits or streamline your operations or find new opportunities? I think the uh, 
the standard issue reality going forward is going to be the companies which really learn how to leverage machine learning and artificial intelligence are going to excel and they're going to do better than the companies that do not. Now the good news is that this stuff is getting relatively inexpensive at least compared to where it was five or ten years ago and lots and lots of organizations can just go out and rent this stuff. You don't have to buy it anymore. You don't have to build a data center yourself. You can go out and rent the services, rent the Google Cloud for example to do some number crunching for you. You can spin up and down the cycles needed to get this stuff done. So it's a very interesting very curious time we're living in right now. And to help us all understand that, we have these guests. So first we'll hear from Eric Siegel. He's the founder of Predictive Analytics World and author of Predictive Analytics, The Power to Predict Who Will Click, Buy, Lie, or Die. Eric, welcome back to Inside Analysis. Uh, thanks very much, Eric. That was Eric Cavanaugh. I'm Eric Siegel. Um, uh, so, you know, machine learning in, in the business deployment and commercial use of that technology is also often known as predictive analytics, and we've got, uh, that's the title of the book I wrote that uh, Eric mentioned, and uh, we've got the Predictive Analytics World Conference coming June 3 to 7 in Vegas, and, um, you know, the way we sort of formulated the conference really reflects what's going on in, in this industry in general, which is, uh, so machine learning is learning from data. Data is, is oftentimes, you can think of it as history, it's things that have happened. You're learning from it to, to make predictions to, for all different kinds of applications. So within our sort of main business umbrella event called Predictive Analytics World for Business, those, those early June dates in Vegas, um, we, we've separated by uh, the tracks by those different application areas. Um, you know, and for example, workforce applications, other um, business applications, marketing. We have an entire track on marketing applications. Um, there's fraud detection, financial services, all this kind of stuff. So. It, it applies in so many different ways across verticals. And then as you divide by vertical, we've actually reflected that by having four predictive analytics world conferences alongside one another. In addition to the business event, we also have a financial service focused event, manufacturing, and then also healthcare. Um, and then another dimension where things are growing very quickly are, are the core methods, the underlying machine learning methods. There's so many competing methods. And the most advanced methods that's really taken hold and, and, and is often uh, referred to with the word AI, artificial intelligence. It's called deep learning. It's a, it's a form of more advanced, sophisticated neural networks. Um, and in fact, alongside those four predictive analytics world, we have the inaugural deep learning world conference. Um, you know, these conferences have case studies from Uber and Lyft on the way they're using deep learning for self-driving cars, uh, but also some of the same practitioners are using it for like fake news detection. Um, we've got case studies from Capital One, John Hancock, all the large main organizations are using it these days, and a lot of them speak speak at our conference, uh, Shell, Google, Caterpillar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, as far as the speakers we have today on the program that you're going to hear from when I finish my little speech here about today's machine learning, um, we actually have Jürgen Schmidhuber, who can correct my pronunciation of his last name, and he wrote the founding uh, research article on one of the most important uh, methods within deep learning. So I've already uh, I've already dug pretty deep here, right? So machine learning is a general area of learning from data. Neural networks is one form of that. Deep learning is the really trendy, hot area now where we're getting that stuff to scale very well. And the network's deep because it has lots of layers internally. And then within that, there's a version called uh, uh, long-term um, short, <laughs> long um, memory, which uh, it's actually used by lots of companies. We've actually got presentations at Deep Learning World from Capital One using it um, uh, for malware detection, and Microsoft using it in various ways. Um, you're going to be speaking a little bit later in this program. Um, and then sort of going, so I've sort of mentioned there's these three main dimensions where things are expanding so quickly. Uh, the ap application areas, such as in marketing, fraud detection, et cetera, the vertical, uh, different industry verticals are, are using it. Um, you'll hear from today from OAG Analytics. Uh, we have the founder, um, and that's an analytics company that focuses on the oil and gas industry. Um, you also hear from uh, TechSifter founders, and that's a company that focuses on um, classification of, of uh, natural language documents. Um, so that was sort of my attempt to sort of put the overall framework on it, what we're doing in our work that represents that in the Predictive Analytics World Conference and uh, the speakers we have today. 
Yeah, and real quick, um, you mentioned some of the different applications, and they really vary quite dramatically from industry to industry. You know, for example, in oil and gas, we'll hear from Luther a little bit later in the show about how you're able, I'm pretty sure he's going to talk about how you're able to identify opportunities using predictive analytics, using machine learning. It's really kind of all over the map, but I think one key point to make here is that machine learning doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get the right answer, right? It's like machine learning can help you find good ideas to explore and can optimize decisions, but it's not the case that a machine learning algorithm is always going to be correct, right? That, absolutely. And um, the fact is that for most of these kind of business applications, it's about predicting better than guessing. So in general, you, know, you don't have a magic crystal ball, and anybody who claims to be getting high levels of accuracy in the literal sense um, uh, is tending to focus on the wrong metric and oftentimes um, implying performance level that's just impossible. Prediction, the future is by definition the thing we don't know. Prediction is a very hard problem. But what we can learn with machines, that is to say the machine does the learning, it does the number crunching over this data, and it automatically derives these models. And what those models do is predict better than guessing and typically better than humans. And that increases... It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The ball, bottom line for rendering all mass scale operations in marketing, fraud detection, financial credit risk, insurance, um, uh, oil and gas, where should I drill, what's the oil flow going to be? There's just so many applications across all these industries where there's a great amount of value by learning from data how to make these. It's basically we're playing the odds. We're tipping odds in our balance. Business is a numbers game, and we're playing that numbers game more effectively, and this is the way to increase that efficiency in a scientific way. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, and I think part of the excitement these days is that we have so much data to use, and if you use machine learning effectively, you can have these algorithms trawling through all of your production data, for example, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to where they're making recommendations to the business person about what to explore, or like, let's pick on fraud detection very quickly. Uh, in terms of use cases there, obviously you want to know who is engaging in a fraudulent transaction. And that's a moving target, right? Because the people who are committing these crimes, the bad guys, they learn too. They can use AI, for example, as well as we can, or sometimes better. So that's a really interesting use case where you can constantly be examining all sorts of data. What time did a person log in? How long were they logged in? What location did they log in from? Is that the location where they're normally logging in from? All these kinds of little details are very useful to feed into algorithms, right, Eric? Right, absolutely. So, And that's the thing that you're actually learning is for any given case, like look at this transaction, whether it's a check that's been cashed or attempting to be cashed, credit card transaction, invoice tax return, of submission, any, any kind of transaction, potentially is fraudulent. And what do you know about that transaction? A whole bunch of things about the transaction itself. And any one of these could tip the balance and the odds of, of the probability this will turn out to be fraudulent. The same concept applies for anything. Is this customer going to leave? Is this patient going to become more ill? Is this product, as it rolls off the assembly line, going to turn out to be faulty? In all these cases, you have this sort of long list of attributes, features, variables known about the that individual case or situation. And each situation is unique because it's like a snowflake. No two snowflakes are alike. No two set of circumstances and all their gory detail, no two customers, etc., are exactly alike. So what the machine needs to learn, and the reason you need machine learning for prediction, is it needs to learn how to consider all those different aspects together at once. That's what a model, a predictive model that's ascertained by the automatic machine learning process, its function is to take as input all those different things known about the current individual or circumstances and then output a singular probability, a singular predictive score 
And the higher the number, the higher chances that we can expect the outcome to be, quote, positive. You can define positive and negative however you want, but is fraud versus isn't fraud is going to cancel There's, as a subscriber isn't. It's typically a yes-no binary question. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. Well, let's go ahead and bring in our next guest, and Eric can uh, join us in the roundtable and help us interview our other guests as the show goes by here. We've got Stuart Schulman dialing in from a company called TechSifter who does some interesting stuff. And, Stuart, I learned a lot from you a few weeks ago when I took a demo of your technology, and you were talking about the importance of the people who train the algorithms. So just to give some quick context here um, as we bring Stuart into the show, a lot of times when you want to train the algorithm to notice something, like let's say to notice if a picture has a human being in it, for example. Some of you have seen these CAPTCHAs out there online when you're trying to log into something, especially on your phone. I've noticed they seem to be pretty prevalent. We have to train the algorithms to know what's right and what's wrong. And uh, it turns out not everyone is good at that. So, Stuart, uh, welcome to Inside Analysis. and Tell us a bit about what you're doing over there at TechSifter. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, it's a pleasure to be here. What we do is create a platform in which people can label data more easily. The platform is called DiscoverText. It's a web-based platform for collaborative text analytics. Essentially, what we look at is when you ask a group of annotators or coders, labelers, taggers, whatever you call them, to label 100 or 200 or 500 items, first of all, to what extent will they agree? And when they disagree, who is right and who is wrong? And what we have learned over about 17 years of doing this is that for any particular problem, there's going to be a distribution of aptitudes for the classification. That is to say, only a certain subset of all the available humans can actually put things in the right categories to the extent that the right category actually exists. And so a lot of what we do focuses on the annotation science, the problem right. of determining who is best able to put things in the categories and even at a higher level, what categories are viable as categories. I think probably a common experience if you've ever done any of this work that you build a model of how you'd like to label or annotate the data or how you'd like a machine to do it in the end. And what you discover is that about five or ten items into the task, something breaks the model. Right? Hmm. Something comes up that challenges your conception of what is a valid observation. And the process of iteratively seeking valid observations from humans reveals that not all humans are created equal. And so the core of our IP is very similar to the way that Google looks at the web. Now, Google looks at the web and says not all web pages are created equal. Some mm. are weak, some are strong, right. most are average. And they create something called PageRank that changes search forever. We just look at humanity and say the exact same thing. Some annotators are strong, some are weak, most are average. And we have a, a patent around the idea of coder rank, which is the ranking of human annotators over time on the likelihood they'll put a correct uh, tag on a piece of data. Yeah, so you're talking about the human beings literally getting it right or getting it wrong. And I thought you made a really good point in your demo that we now publish to YouTube. I'll send you a link for that. It's part of our AI is the new BI series where basically my good friend and analyst buddy Wayne Eckerson came up with the concept that uh, AI is now so prevalent it really is taking hold of the enterprise software industry, certainly around the area of data management, which is where we focus, but it's become so prevalent that it's like the new business intelligence, basically. And you made this excellent point that if you have people training your algorithms who are not very good at doing that, you're not going to get very good results from your algorithm. So again, the, the importance of having people do the right thing and train those algorithms properly is really really mission critical, and I'd like you to go into a bit this concept of where something breaks the model, because this it's a perfect example to show why this is just a process and a journey. It's not really a destination, because the world is extremely complex, and when you try to break down the world along certain dimensions or metrics to do analysis, you're always going to miss something, and I, I think that's 
somewhat lost on people, or maybe just it's kind of lost in the hype about the power of things like AI and machine learning, because they're only ever going to shepherd you toward a better answer. They're never going to certifiably give you absolutely correctly the positive thing that you want to learn, right? Right, and the main point, I think, is, and you alluded to it in the intro, that these are probabilistic estimates. These are not determinations. Right. You know, they're better right. than guesses, and some probabilistic estimates are better than others. And the thing that we're trying to call attention to in our work is not only that it's important to focus on what you feed the system in terms of trading data, but that same capability that's distributed unequally across humans for feeding the training data affects how you evaluate whether or not the algorithm is working, whether or not the machine learning estimate is a good one, right? Mm -hmm. So if a, if a machine learning algorithm takes some training data, incorporates it, and then labels some unlabeled data with a 90% likelihood that it's in a category, and then 10 humans look at it and... 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 or 8 out of 10 say, indeed, it's in the right category, then we feel good, right? But there's a problem evaluating the quality of machine learning if the person who's doing the evaluation of the output is not clear on what the, the boundaries of a category are. So one of, the, one of the key things when I talk about breaking models, whether it is with the machine learning output or the human input is, there are some classifications, typically binary, that are very clear-cut. For example, we're looking at a lot of Twitter data lately, and we're trying to determine whether or not a tweet is a first-person report of an event. Hmm. Now, that has a pretty clear meaning, but you might find across 10 or 15 or 20 annotators looking at the same tweet that they don't agree. Yeah, right. right? That uh, no, what first-person really is. No, you know? and so this is a good point. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and hold off, and we'll pick that up right after the break, folks. We're talking to several guests right now. Stuart Shulman is live on Inside Analysis. We're talking all about artificial intelligence and machine learning. We'll be right back. You're listening to Inside Analysis. Support for the new possible comes from Wasabi. Wasabi is fast, affordable cloud storage for archives, videos, genomics, big data, IoT, surveillance, and much, much more. Wasabi is revolutionizing cloud storage by delivering a cheaper, faster, one-size-fits-all hot storage utility. Wasabi is fast to write, fast to read, and instantly available. Wasabi delivers the industry's lowest cost, one-fifth the price of Amazon S3, and fastest, six times the speed of Amazon S3 cloud storage service, and is 100% compatible with Amazon S3. Based in Boston, Massachusetts, Wasabi was founded by cloud storage pioneers David Friend and Jeff Flowers, the founders of Carbonite, the world's leading cloud backup company. Wasabi believes that cloud storage will become the next great global utility, making the new possible possible in businesses across the world. Are we so different than the animals? Well, yes and no. A fascinating study of birds gives insight into what it means to be young, then not so young, then experienced next on Dane's Life. A great radio show may sound like it's easy to make, but if you've ever tried, you know that's not the case. With the time spent engineering, producing, and archiving, you end up losing focus on what really matters, the content of your show. If you put your show on the Gab Radio Network, you'll be able to leave all those technical worries to our staff of highly trained engineers and producers. And all you need to do is have fun and put on a great show. Want to find out more? Send an email over to sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gab radionetwork.com I had one of those wow moments regarding Carla Rivera Caceres and her work in Costa Rica last week. She studies the song of wrens as part of her research gig as an ornithologist at the University of Miami. Sweet job. The canebrake wren is near and dear to her. She noticed something that wrens join together, male and female, to sing. Some are really good and some are really bad. Casseris realized that it was easy to tell the youngsters from the seasoned birds. If she could distinguish easily between two birds chirping, they were youthful. The older pair seemed to have one song, a real song of speech playing off each other, riffing into beautiful music. Just like us, 
Oh, sure, you say, bickering old people sounds great. But maybe you just haven't yet seen the synergy of two people finishing each other's sentences, a mellifluous tone of understanding, knowing when to start and when to speech, through trial and error. Same with us. We have to learn new people before we can work together. It takes time to truly get on the same page. Find out more about Dan's life on Facebook. Search at French and Friends. That's at French and Friends. Life is beautiful. So are Mondays. This is Dan's life. Welcome back to Inside Analysis. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Take us to the folks back here on Inside Analysis talking all about artificial intelligence and machine learning with expert Stuart Shulman of TechSifter. And Stuart, right before the break, you were talking about trying to determine using machine learning whether or not a tweet is an original tweet or whether it's sort of picked up from somewhere else, right? So you're talking about the provenance of the content itself and how that can be used to identify who's a real person out there tweeting versus who's a bot. Can you kind of finish up your thought there? First person, we, we mean are people reporting events that they're seeing in the, re the real world in real time versus I see. Uh, what somebody else told them or some other kind of account of an event that they'd heard through social media or other, other sources. But in terms of uh, bots, it's another place we've been doing work uh, lately, which is in terms of bot recognition and asking humans uh, to make decisions about whether or not content is potentially a bot or not. We found that to be quite dicey uh, territory, but really illustrative of that spectrum of problems from very easy to very hard, where the role of the human uh, can be more or less important. And as it gets harder for humans to make a judgment like, is this or is this not a bot, it's harder to incorporate human input for the basis for the machine learning. It looks to other factors like metadata to make the proper judgments. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Well, let's go ahead and bring in our next guest. We have Luther Burzell of OAG. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The analytics dialing in, and OAG stands for oil and gas. That's another very interesting use case for machine learning and artificial intelligence. Luther, welcome to Inside Analysis, and tell us a bit about what you're doing out there. Hi, Eric. Uh, thanks for having us on the show. <clears throat> My background is in electrical engineering and software, and Eric, for about the past 20 years, I have focused on building tools to make data, existing data, more valuable. In 2013, an opportunity to focus on bringing the most valuable technology, <clears throat> big data, AI, and machine learning into what at the time was the fastest growing area of the U.S. economy, uh, North American onshore oil and gas. So it's kind of like the, the find it and get it out of the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, OEG Analytics developed a SaaS software platform uh, that provides self-service tools for subject matter experts like geologists, geophysicists, and petroleum engineers to um, improve the, optimize the profitability of their wells and assets using data that they already have. Um, and then, you know, essentially, we, we position this to them as turbocharging the math behind the same data and the same workflows that they're prosecuting today to uh, get oil out of the ground. Hmm. Yeah, so talk about some of the data that's being used to make these determinations. Because before the show, I'd mentioned to you a good friend of mine who passed away, Dr. Michael Economides, and he did a lot of pioneering work around using data mining to detect where there are valuable wells in deep water and ultra deep water even. And of course, this is really important stuff to get right because it's so expensive to do a well, right? That's the thing, back to the point about uh, the, the cost structures that go into these things. And his point was that you could go out there and use all this E&P data to exploration and production, I believe it stands for, um, existing data 
to determine where new wells could likely be built. Uh, is that is that about right? So, so it is, um, and there's so the the offshore stuff that that Michael focused on it is more of a, a true exploration exercise where geologists, geophysicists, and others um, will really model the the structure of the Earth below the below the floor of the ocean, and mm -hmm. uh, when they get that right, um, those are huge, huge wells, and when they get <laughs> regardless of how much oil comes out, if any oil comes out, those are always tremendously expensive. Now, a typical offshore well, Eric, is maybe like $100 million. Um, and right. to even start that process of drilling $100 million wells requires billions of dollars of infrastructure in the drilling platform to be in place. Accordingly, there are far fewer wells offshore than there are onshore, where wells cost maybe to $20 million, at least the unconventional ones or the, uh, the fracking has been uh, kind of a popular media label that's been attached to that. Um, so the data we really focus on, and, and it was that area, it was the fracking, the, the drilling down into the earth and then drilling across the earth into basically solid rock that we've always known oil and gas existed in. So Eric, finding this, we've already known where it was, but until we figured out how to turn a drill bit from going mm. from you know down into the earth to across the earth and right. then combine that with this fracking technology which we've been fracking basically means you know pumping water and some kind of sand or slurry into the earth to break up the rock we've been doing that in the united states since the 1940s um <clears throat> what really changed is horizontal drilling into solid rock and then using a much more advanced hydraulic fracturing technique essentially enabled the oil industry to start extracting oil and gas from what was before, again, solid rock. And if that sounds complicated, um, it, it really is. It's an incredible engineering feat. But with all this additional complexity came, comes much more complex data. And getting back to your question on the data, <clears throat> whether it's onshore or offshore, the, the oil companies always do their best to, to model the surface below the earth. And we have some proprietary machine learning and AI-assisted techniques that are helping the companies we work with improve their existing rock models. We, all, we then combine that. Excuse me one second. Yeah, sure. No worries. <clears throat> Sorry. So we combine that, th those improved rock or subsurface models with the, the data, the drilling data about all of the wells that have been drilled. There have been like thousands and thousands and thousands of these drilled in, in states like North Dakota, East and West Texas, um, really all over the country, and in Canada as well. Um, and then there's the, what they call the completions or the treatment data. That's really the well design. And these wells, again, your <clears throat> companies are spending you know, 2 to $20 million on them. Kind of the problem median today is probably around an $8 million well. We take the rock data, we take the data about how the hole was drilled, and then kind of what they did to the hole to break up that solid rock miles below the surface to enable oil and gas to flow. And, and then, of course, we want to know the production data of those wells and, uh, and then the economic data. So kind of five major categories there. <clears throat> and what we've done as a business, and this, this is a big lesson that I've learned, especially in my last company, which was a startup that built self-service tools for large-scale corporate IP optimization, Basically, in this world, we've got this global shortage of data scientists, which people kind of think of today as the people who write the code to bring all the data together and clean it up, and then the code to train the machine learning models, <clears throat> and then again, program the computers, write the code, to be able to do something meaningful with a machine learning model, um, like <clears throat> optimize the profitability of, a, uh, of an oil and gas well by getting better visibility into what's going to happen if I you know, do certain design, try certain designs in certain locations. Um, so the better we can test those before the wells are actually drilled, um, the better uh, the better the wells uh, that do get drilled, you know, ultimately uh, ultimately come out. I know there's a lot of information, Eric, on the data. You know, data is the biggest part of all this machine learning, of course. Um, Eric, I'm, I'm going to just pause there and uh, yeah, yeah, no, sure, this is good. Anything stuff. else around the data or? Yeah, I, but I'd like to understand uh, maybe the application, right? So what you're doing is you're taking all these different sets of data, 
and you're using the algorithms to look for covariance, for example. And what you want to do, obviously, with, with AI and machine learning is you want success stories. You want to be able to find examples where the algorithm predicted correctly that there was oil. And you always you have to feed that and you have to forever continue to train these models back to uh, Stuart Shulman's point in that opening segment because something will change, right? That's the one of the challenges is that you can't just build a model and keep it forever. You have to watch for when that model starts to fade, starts to lose accuracy, not do as good of a job as it used to do. And that's when you promote what they call the challenger model, and we'll bring um, Eric Siegel back in on the next segment to kind of tell us a bit about that. But the challengers should always be out there. So if you're doing a good job with machine learning, you've got your production model that's cranking away, making recommendations of where to go, test for drilling possibilities, but you've got your challenger models back there as well, also churning away, and once your primary model fades or starts working in a, in a poor fashion, that's when you promote the challenger model, right? Eric, that, that's generally the best practice for operationalizing machine learning. Um, high consequence slash high cost industrial decisions uh, mm -hmm. are, are a little more nuanced. Um, and, and if you think about this kind of historically, you know, Google uh, is a great example. You know, that they, they've released huge amounts of IP into the public domain around big data and machine learning, as of many other tech giants. Uh, kind of across search, social media, retail, entertainment, the, these consumer Internet domains that are characterized by just these massive volumes of data flow and transactions, um, and, and they use machine learning very effectively to automate processes for affecting you know, fractions of a cent, product recommendations, mm. movie recommendations, advertisements. Well, when you're doing, and if you, you know, Google did three and a half billion searches yesterday. So, you know, that, that fits that model very well. When you kind of pull out those underlying capabilities, you know, the, the machine learning, the data management, some of the AI capabilities that are you know, really largely in the public domain, thanks to these tech giants, um, applying those for, two, you know, several hundred, let's say, which is the biggest oil company in North America, and it's doing three, less than 300, um, five, you know, about $8 million wells. And... You know, you, if you can A-B test quickly and cheaply, you just don't mm. need the same level of transparency and control and scrutiny of the data. And you can do things like wait for your models to start to get bad before you deploy new ones. Mm. Well, if you're in a sufficiently capitally intensive domain, you act the economic shift to you want to be proactively applying machine learning. It's really kind of a core of a continuous improvement process. Um, as opposed to kind of the reactive, like, let's update this when we need to, right? The higher the stakes, when the stakes get high enough, you hit an inflection point that drives the business case for continuous improvement as opposed to periodic reactive improvement. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. So this is, that's good information. So it's different ways of, of applying the technology. Well, this is great. Let's, uh, before we get too much deeper into the show, let's bring in our, our fourth and final guest. We have Jürgen Schmidhuber calling in from Nysense, all the way from Switzerland. Jürgen, thanks for your patience, and welcome to Inside Analysis. Thanks for having me, and greetings from Switzerland. Yes. So tell us a bit about how you have used machine learning and AI uh, to great effect. So Eric Siegel referenced that one algorithm of yours that is used all over the world these days. Tell us a bit about what you're doing with machine learning and how it's improving lives. Mm. So um, this whole thing for me started in the 80s when I started to work on building a machine that learns to become smarter than myself. Um, that uh, super intelligence hopefully will solve all the problems that I cannot solve myself such that I can <laughs> retire. And um, <laughs> we've been working on that uh, since then, and, um, and I'm still saying the same things that I said back then. The only difference is that more people are listening because, as you mentioned, uh, there are a couple of machine learning techniques that are now on every single smartphone on this planet. And uh, maybe the most famous uh, of these methods is a deep learning method, um, a deep learning method for an artificial neural network, which is called 
the long short-term memory, the LSTM, long short-term memory, and it's a little bit inspired by the human brain. Um, it has input neurons and output neurons, and through the input neurons, um, data is coming in, streams of data, video or speech or something, and some of the output um, units, they control actuators and muscles, and then um, the whole thing is totally stupid in the beginning, but then through training, through experience, it learns to do all kinds of interesting things, such as driving a car, for example, or recognizing your speech on your smartphone. So, for example, whenever you, you say, um, whenever you um, call Google, you say to your smartphone, uh, okay, Google, show me the shortest way to the airport, then it understands what you're saying, and how does it do that? Well, it's waking up one of these long, short-term memories, which have mm. been developed since the early 90s in my labs in, in Munich and in Switzerland, but they are now working for Google, and they are doing the speech recognition on two billion Android phones. Or if you have an iPhone and you have the quick type, then there's an LSTM which is trying to predict what where you want to do next. And if you have an Alexa, an Amazon Alexa at home, and it's talking back to you, then it's not a recording. It's an, a long, short-term memory, an LSTM, which has learned through training to sound like a woman. And hmm. if you are using wow. Facebook, for example, uh, in 2017, Facebook announced that they are now using LSTM to do, um, let me see, 4,000 million translations a day. You click at this little translate button and you translate the message of your Chinese friend or your Spanish friend. And this is now happening 4 billion times a day, so 50,000 times a second. So. Um, wherever I go, a little piece of uh, our lab is already there. That's, um, that's maybe the most famous uh, part of um, what we have developed there. Yeah. Now, that, that's really, really cool stuff, and we'll go to break here in just about a minute. Um, so let me just kind of summarize what we've heard so far. This is really interesting how uh, prevalent a lot of these technologies have become, and Jurgen, in particular, some of the stuff that you and your team have developed over the years. As you suggest, it's billions of times a day being used, and I think that's one of the exciting things, and maybe when we come back from break, I'll bring you back and then Eric Siegel again to kind of talk about <clears throat> what's really exciting now is that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, right? We've done so much work over these years building these algorithms, and now, thanks to the web and thanks to collaboration, and thanks to the pressure of business, quite frankly, we have a tremendous amount of work that's being done. Much of it owes its existence to the work that was done years ago. So that's where we'll pick things up in just two minutes. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to Inside Analysis. Do you have a great idea for a radio show but have no idea where to start? Or have you been hosting a podcast for a while and want to take it to the next level? If so, you need the Gab Radio Network. To host a show on the Gab Radio Network, all you need is your voice, and we'll handle the rest. From technical engineering to full-service audio production and much more. Every show on the Gab Radio Network can be heard on our station on the TuneIn Radio app. Plus, we put all our shows on our satellite, which is accessed by 5,500 stations. And here's the best part. You can host from anywhere you want. There are many means to connect to the Gab Radio Network remotely, and our staff of highly trained engineers and producers will make you sound like you're right here in studio. So, if you want to be on the Gab Radio Network, the same network that hosts the Small Business Advocate, Radio MD, and Talkin' Pets, send an email right now to sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. If you run a large corporation, small business, or anything in between, you need ads to help get the word out. A full page in the newspaper sounds good. A TV spot sounds even better. But let's face it, newspapers are essentially last-minute wrapping paper, and a TV spot is just expensive and basically code for bathroom break. Talk radio is different. Commercials cost practically nothing to produce, and the listeners are loyal. They like what they like, and they stay tuned in. When they hear about a new product or service during their favorite show, they can't wait to try it out for themselves so they can talk about it with their friends. And you know how radio listeners like to talk. 
If you want to add radio to your marketing portfolio, you need the Gab Radio Network. Gab Radio is the team of full-service experts you've been looking for, from writing to production, distribution, voiceover, and more. We make sure your spots are paired with the right shows in the right markets at the right time of day so the right people can hear. Since we're in over 100 markets across 34 states, Canada, and American Samoa, I'd say it's a pretty good place to start. If you want to know more, just email sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. Welcome back to Inside Analysis. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here once again on Inside Analysis. We we're just talking moments ago to Jurgen Schmidhuber from NYSENSE, dialing in from Switzerland about what's what's going on in the world of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And Jurgen, you made a really good point on the break there. I'd like you to pick up here on the live broadcast about how quickly things are changing. And you see this from guys like Elon Musk, of course, talking about how concerned they are of where things are going. Uh, I'm not as concerned as they are, but the fact of the matter is that uh, technology is advancing very, very rapidly these days. And uh, your point was that pretty soon we will see artificial intelligence algorithms working more on process-oriented issues in large companies like moving ships or moving parts in in a manufacturing plant and stuff like that. Can you kind of talk about where you're going with that idea? Yeah. Let me first comment on uh, Elon's fears. Uh, years ago, I talked to him about that for hours and tried to allay his fears because <laughs> in the long run, it's all going to be good. However, um, let's now <laughs> quickly focus on really what's working uh, at the moment already. The stuff that is working um, nicely today is pattern recognition, passive pattern recognition. Deep learning is made mostly a passive thing, which just is about recognizing um, observations, classifying them, translating them, and so on. However, the real challenging part of AI, which is not as well developed, is about interaction with the environment, controlling processes, controlling robots like in the movies. Uh, at the moment, there is no robot that can watch you and learn to imitate you while you are, for example, assembling a smartphone. And, um, and this is going to come. I don't know how long it's going to take, a couple of years, not so many decades. But once these two things are coming together, machine construction, robotics, on the one hand, and then um, uh, machine learning and pattern recognition and deep learning on the other, then we will see a major jump. Because at the moment, most of the profits in AI are really just um, in marketing. So um, may marketing is maybe 1% or 2% of the world economy, and it's big enough to uh, make companies such as Google and Baidu and Facebook and Tencent in China and Amazon and Alibaba in China um, uh, make them the most valuable or almost the most valuable companies in the world, not counting Saudi Aramco or something like that. However, um, uh, there is a much bigger part of the economy, which is really manufacturing, making things. And there you need machines that shape the world through their actions, that act, perceive, act, perceive, try to solve arbitrary problems um, in an environment that they shape through their own actions. And this is where the huge future is coming, um, where robotics and um, machine construction are going to uh, marry machine learning as we know it. And this is going to affect a much larger part of the economy than the tip of the iceberg that we are currently seeing. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's actually a good segue to bring Eric Siegel back in. At your conferences, Eric, of course, there's one coming up pretty soon. Uh, is this what you're seeing, that we are right now at the tip of the iceberg, but that what Jurgen is talking about really is coming soon? And you know, we talked about manufacturing and some other fields. Do you see the applicability of AI really expanding out dramatically right now or in the near future? Eric Siegel, are you on mute? We might have lost him. I'll throw it over to Luther uh, Birdzell. What about you? Do you agree with Jurgen that we're entering a whole new phase of machine learning and its impact? So, so yet, yes, I do. And we are, you know, we're, we're seeing the adoption of that. Um, 
the enabling technology that is driving toward the kind of the next big inflection point is not uniform. Um, some of, again, the, the consumer side, the, the domains that have just much higher frequencies and much lower consequence, lower cost decisions, um, you know, along with just you know, massive, massive volumes of data, Google, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Amazon, those companies are in a very, you know, are really quite more advanced with the technologies than, than we're seeing on, in some of the industrial applications. And there's two reasons for that. You know, the industrial kind of sector is a little slower. They're dealing with more complex. There's some nuances, you know, higher consequence, higher cost, lower volumes of these decisions. They just make it harder to automate AI and machine learning for. But it also kind of comes back to that transparency, Eric, that we were talking about before a little bit. An oil company needs much more control over the entire machine learning workflow and much more transparency into every aspect of it, especially the machine learning analysis. And one of the things that we really specialize in is that if you do exceptional feature engineering on your data first, which is a transparent process, hmm. and then you use shallow learning, we have up to this point always been able to build, train more accurate predictive models than just by using deep learning, which it is much more opaque. It's not as traceable. There are things like image pattern recognition, you know, image recognition, and, and among others, that deep learning is a very, very clear leading candidate for. But in the domains that require more transparency and more control to trust machine learning insights, um, the the technology, you know, kind of where we are on the technology maturity curve to maximize business value, again, is not uniform. Um, so we're focused in an area that's a little bit different uh, from what, uh, what Jurgen was really was referencing. I completely agree with him. Um, but again, ultimately, kind of across the board, independent of like of what the appropriate machine learning technology maturity is, Virtually every industry is driving toward another major inflection point with these technologies. Yeah, and I like what you mentioned about feature characterization there. And you're basically talking about really defining the characteristics that you're tracking, right? Like whether that be temperature or speed or whatever the case may be, you're talking about being very focused and careful as you define the metrics that you're going to be using to manage your algorithms, right? So, so yes, Eric, but, but there's actually even more to it. It is a very dangerous and often erroneous assumption that the most valuable form of data is, is the way that it is represented in its, in its natural form. We can say like the, the length of a wellbore, you know, the, the lateral length, for example. Um, there are many times where applying a, a deterministic, where either combining that data with other data, um, you know, it can provide dimensionality reduction, and or applying mathematical functions to that data. There's this massive library of all these you know, data type specific functions. So date functions, um, certainly working with numeric, natural language for working with text data, uh, and so on. Eric, we can often discover much more valuable forms of data by applying these transformations or these mathematical functions, again, that are deterministic, I can apply it, I can unapply it. And ultimately, this gets back to, this is really important, because it gets back to garbage in, garbage out. The higher the quality of data before we start training the ML, the better model we're going to get. And um, you know, machines are, the deep, uh, deep learning, you know, the neural networks and others, often do a great job of doing this through hidden layers, transparency, and, and that's great for, for a lot of applications of machine learning. Um, again, in the industrial, the high consequence, the low volume, you know, all those reasons, um, really, really important to create more transparency into the process by doing that, you know, really by separating out the feature engineering as a standalone uh, pipeline. Yeah, that's a very good point. 
Well, let's uh, throw final comments out there from uh, from Jurgen and then Eric Siegel, if he's still out there. Uh, Jurgen, final comments from you. What should people be watching out for with machine learning in the next two to five years? In the next two to five years, so that is um, still within a predictable horizon. Um, <laughs> what you should probably expect is something like a robot that you can teach like a kid by just showing things to him and telling him how to do it. So, for example, oh, there is this robot, and now you say, look, uh, you have to take the screwdriver like that, and now you have to screw the screw into this little hole here like that. Not, not like that, like that. Not like that, like that. And at the moment, this doesn't work at all. But we already see how we kind of can get there within not so many years. So show and tell robotics, as I like to call it, or um, watch and learn robotics of that type is going to change a dramatic, a huge number of professions. That's a near-term future. Whether it's really five years or a little bit longer, it's hard to predict, but it's not many, many decades. And this is going to change many, many professions, however. But the long-term outlook is much more exciting than that. Yeah, I think think you're right about that. We've got 60 seconds left on our show. Eric Siegel, are you still out there? No, we'll do a search for... Yeah, I mean, I I agree with what... Go ahead. Uh, Yeah, I agree with what the uh, rest of the uh, panel's been saying, and I, I think that especially in deep learning where the capabilities are just being tapped in a very early phase, self-driving cars, fake news detection, malware detection, and then, of course, as Jurgen said, all these manufacturing applications, I do think there's a, there's a, a lot that's going to happen in the next few years. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to have all these folks back on a future show. We're going to be talking a lot about this over the next coming years because, quite frankly, it's not going away. If you want to be on one of our shows, send an email to yours truly, info at insideanalysis.com. We also have DM Radio on Thursdays. And with that, folks, we're going to bid you farewell. Another wonderful show today. Thanks to all of you for your time. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Inside Analysis. I'm so tired of the buffering on my smartphone. I'm so over it. Next. Right? I am so over it. Next. A radio? Next. No buffering, just your favorite local radio station? Next Radio uses the FM tuner that is already built into your phone, so you can listen to your favorite stations on the go. Because Next Radio uses the FM tuner already built into your smartphone, it saves on data and battery usage. When compared to streaming audio, Next Radio uses less than a tenth of your data, and your battery will last three times longer. Next Radio, it's FM radio on your smartphone. Introducing a radio inside your cell phone. Listen to all kinds of local radio stations, including KCAA 106.5 Ukaipa and 102.3 Riverside on Next Radio. Download the free Next Radio app today. 100% free, 100% fun, 0% buffering. Stop the buffer and listen to KCAA. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM.